This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Acts chapter 3. Acts is an exciting book. On Wednesday nights in the Bible geography class, we've been looking at various cities. We're Lord willing. If things on the world scene uh, allow us to, we're going to be visiting Greece and Turkey, uh, visiting some of these churches where the book of Acts describes what God did in those places. But at this point in our study in Acts, we're still geographically in Jerusalem, uh, looking at the exciting things that God is doing there. We've been reminded of a couple foundational truths. One of those truths is that nothing happens that is not empowered by the Spirit of God. And that's instructional for the church of Jesus Christ throughout the church age until Jesus comes back. Everything we do here needs to be through the power of the Spirit of God as we yield to Him. And then as we saw last week, it all was energized by prayer as well. We need to be spontaneous in our praying. Uh, we need to be saturated in our praying, related to everything that we do, uh, where we understand without God, nothing is possible. And so we are yielded to Him, praying to Him, but then we get to see in this book the powerful results of those who are depending on Him, uh, depending on His Spirit, and through prayer. So our study in Acts brings us to the end of the third chapter. I want to remind us again that Acts 1-10 to describes a gradual transition from Jewish Christianity. Uh, the Lord gave His life on the cross, shed His blood finished the work of salvation, three days later rose from the grave. And then in those 40 days that followed the resurrection, you have really these believers with their Lord. He's still on earth. Uh, he's teaching them. He's encouraging them by his presence. But it really is a Jewish Christianity. But then it transitions to... Gentiles and Jews functioning together as the church. And what's interesting is, is this Jewishness. I mean, Jesus and his disciples uh, following the feasts and, and involved in that. But as we continue to move ahead, they're still observing these holy days on the Temple Mount. But the focus moves away from uh, the the aspects of the Jewish law that the Lord has completed, the feasts, uh, all that pointing to Jesus, and now it's serving through uh, the Spirit of Christ. So chapter 3 begins with two apostles at 3 p.m. meeting other believers on the Temple Mount for their regular daily prayer time. It was a time when they encouraged each other. Now, there's something else that comes to light as we study the book of Acts. When saints are controlled by the Holy Spirit, they come together for worship and service and powerful things happen. 
Here's what I want you to remember. The word ecclesia in our New Testament in our New Testament means called out assembly. That means believers who are called out who are assembling. Assembly becomes the focal point of the book of Acts, the narrative here, and everywhere else in this book. What we see is saints coming together and serving the Lord together. It's what you have to understand. In the book of Acts, there is no such thing as as stay-at-home Christianity. Everything that they do revolves around the assembly, uh, continuing steadfastly, the apostles' doctrine, prayer, fellowship, breaking bread. And everything that God does spins off of that. But it's the believers coming together. It's the team meeting together. They're praying. They're encouraging each other. They're making decisions. And out of that assembling comes the work of God. It shouldn't be any different today. In fact, someone has rightly stated that as you study the book of Acts and the New Testament, you don't see a believer functioning outside of the local church. And that's why even as we see the day of the Lord approaching, we are to gather together, Hebrews 10.25. And so much the more as you see the day of the Lord approaching. Satan is very clever in giving us excuses and reasons why, well, we just can't meet. And I think we need to be consistent and really look earnestly. We're coming to the end of these days. Jesus is coming back. The time is short. The night is coming when no man can work. And we need to be busy for the Lord together. You can't provoke one another to love and good works. You can't help nourish and nurture the body if you're not attached to the body. And what results from these believers coming together is wonderful, it's powerful, and we're going to witness that again tonight. So the result of their simple devotion together, again, Peter and John, three in the afternoon, coming to the Temple Mount, they're going up there anticipating meeting other believers. By this time, that number has grown substantially. 3,000 saved at Pentecost, others daily being added to the church. But as they're on their way there, they pass a lame man who is asking for alms. He's begging. We know that the lame man at the beginning of chapter 3 is healed next to the gate that's called beautiful. He not only is healed, but he's rejoicing. He follows them up those, there are several sets of stairs going to the Temple Mount. He follows them, he goes with them up there, and when he gets to the top, people that have passed this guy day after day after day, they see him and he's leaping, he's walking, he's rejoicing and giving praise to God. And the Lord uses that to draw another crowd. So many recognize him. They come together to satisfy their wonder, their curiosity about what happened to him. That's what we see in verse 11. But tonight, we need to notice a couple applications to this text. 
And then I would state to you that this is one of the most powerful evangelistic texts in the book of Acts. We know that Peter preached uh, at Pentecost. That was powerful. Thousands were saved. He's going to preach here again. But when you follow the content of what he says, if there is anyone listening tonight, you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, this text will tug at your heart. I, I don't know of another text that would, would tug in a greater way at your heart. Well, we also see spirit-filled believers who are using every opportunity to just turn it into a gospel opportunity. And I've entitled the message tonight, based on what Peter is going to put in this second message recorded for us, why you must choose Jesus. That's the title of the text, of the message. Why you must choose Jesus. If you're taking notes tonight, this is one of those texts that I, I'm just going to ask you to have your thinking caps on tonight. And we're going to look at what Peter does. This is a spontaneous message. But what's happening here is he's controlled by the Holy Spirit, so it's God speaking through this messenger. And it then gets recorded in the book of Acts, so what we also have now is inspired Scripture. God breathed. And it's powerful. And if there's anyone listening who doesn't know Christ as Savior, this, this truth is meant to grab hold of you, arrest you, and help you take a good hard look at why you need to choose Jesus for salvation. Now just as Peter and John had used the first opportunity to heal the man physically, they now use this divine appointment to heal men spiritually. What is the setting? They're on the Temple Mount. When we get into chapter 4, you're going to see thousands come to Christ, but they don't quite get to give the invitation. Something happens up there that will be the beginning of persecution. Up to this point, they've been left alone. Chapter 4, they're not being left alone anymore. So keep that in your mind. There are thousands up there. Here's a man who has just been healed. And Peter uses that opportunity as folks begin to gather and they're wondering, he uses the opportunity to give the gospel. And you and I should do the same when God arrests the attention of people and you have an opportunity to proclaim gospel truth. So look at verse 12. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye? That word marvel means why are you perplexed? He could see in their faces they're trying to process what has happened. We know this guy. We've seen him extended period of time. He can't walk. He gets carried to where he begs. Now he's walking, he's leaping, he's praising God. They're perplexed. Peter goes on, or why look ye so earnestly on us? Why do you fasten your eyes on us? Trying to get a, a, a mental image of their faces. I don't think it was just eyes. I think it was like this too. 
What's happening here? Their eyes are fastened. Peter says, as though by our own power or holiness, we had made this man to walk. Now watch who Peter gives glory to, verse 13. The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus. Here's God's plan contrasted with what had happened with the plan of the Pharisees and the religious leaders. Their plan was to eliminate Jesus. Let's just be done with this. But their plan is contrasted with God's plan. Again, God of your fathers has glorified his son Jesus. Now watch, whom ye, in the original here, it's emphatic, whom ye, not whom men, but whom ye. You delivered up. Now, all these folks, were they all at the foot of the cross? Probably not. They're part of a nation that delivered up their Messiah to be crucified. What you have to understand is everyone there, including every one of us here, we delivered him up. We are guilty. Emphatic, ye delivered him up. But Peter doesn't stop there. And you denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. He didn't find anything wrong with him. He declared him innocent. You delivered him up. You denied him in the presence of Pilate. Now that word denied is going to be used again, not only verse 13, but also in verse, in verse 14. When Pilate was determined to let him go, verse 14, but ye denied. And here's what Peter begins to do. He begins to give the Lord who was denied, he starts giving him other titles, other names. These are his legitimate names, but they all describe who it was that when they had a chance to let an innocent man go, they said no. Who is it they denied and delivered up? He's not just God's son. Watch here. Along with God's son, verse 13, he is also the holy one and the just. Completely holy. He's just. And if that wasn't bad enough, and you desired a murderer to be granted unto you. So you chose a murderer over the Holy One and the just. This is real bad, folks. This is a travesty of justice unlike any other in the history of mankind. Verse 15. And you killed, again that emphatic carries through the text, and you killed the prince of life. Do you know what that word prince uh, means in the original? You killed the author of life. So think about this. He's the author of life. He's the prince of life. He grants life. Oh, by the way, he gave you life. And you killed him. Now, if you just pause and let this sink in, 
You have to understand that conviction begins to set in in a powerful way. If you're listening tonight and you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, understand you're responsible for the death of the Son of God. Because you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay the penalty for my sin, which is death. Because of our sin, the Bible tells us in John's gospel, we're under a death sentence. He that believeth is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Before I trusted Christ, I was on death row. I may never spend time in prison. Hope that doesn't happen. Okay. But I've been on death row. You've been on death row. If you're not saved, you're still on death row. The point is, we caused the death of the author of life. So it's a serious thing to not believe on Jesus Christ. And did you notice how Peter describes it here? It is rejection. It is denial of the person of God's Son, the holy and the just and the author of life. You're denying him. Say, well, I just haven't decided yet. No, no, you're denying him. He calls on all men and women everywhere to repent. You say, well, I, I just haven't made up my mind. No, you are in denial. You're in unbelief. You're guilty of delivering the innocent Son of God up to die. Now, the wonderful truth is he gave himself up out of love because he loved you so much in your sin that he wanted to pay for your sin so you could spend eternity with him forever. Now, what makes your denial even more serious and foolish is that you're doing it with powerful proof of Christ's validity before your eyes. Again, put yourself there. Peter is speaking to a Jewish audience. Some of them were there on Golgotha. They watched the whole thing. All of these at least have heard about what happened up there. They've also heard some other interesting things that are absolutely true. He didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave. And so Peter says this, notice verse 15 goes on, In whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. Now Peter is going to start doing something interesting in his message. And again, I want you to follow closely what he's doing. Okay, please stay with me. This is, this is critical. He says, whereof we are witnesses. And his name... Again, God's Son, Jesus, the Holy One and the Just, the Prince of Life, through faith in His name. Notice Peter is going to repeat himself here for emphasis. Hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. So follow this. Jesus rose from the grave. We are witnesses. This man was made strong. You are witnesses. We've witnessed the miracle of seeing Jesus. You've witnessed the miracle of seeing Jesus heal this man. 
Yea, and now Peter's going to repeat it again. The faith which is by him given him this perfect soundness. So he mentions faith. He mentions it again in this verse. Perfect soundness builds on Jesus made this man strong. Do you know what perfect soundness means? Complete wholeness in all his parts. He couldn't even get to the steps of the temple. And now he's climbed the steps and he's walking around up here jumping and praising God. All of his parts completely whole. And you're watching this. He's doing this in the presence of you all. Again, you are witnesses. You're witnesses. You're witnesses. We are witnesses of the risen Lord. Now you're seeing the results of the power of the risen Lord. Now, while this is obvious to you now, it was not obvious to you. They're under deep conviction at this point. And so Peter helps them. He's gentle. Verse 17, and now, brethren, I, what, I know that through ignorance ye did it, as did your rulers. Verse 18, but those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. Now, once again, this is powerful. Watch closely. Peter saying, what we have witnessed, the risen Lord, what you have witnessed, a lame man who has been made completely whole, and now what the prophets predicted, the death and resurrection of Messiah. We are witness to these things. These things demand a response from you. What are you going to do with Jesus? Here is all this proof. And I, I'm still wondering if the guy's still jumping and praising the Lord. Hey, he's probably settled down for the preaching service. We've seen the risen Lord. You've seen this man made whole. And oh, by the way, remember what all those prophets said? Jesus fulfilled all that. And so all of this evidence does demand a response. And here it is, verse 19. Repent ye therefore and be converted. The word converted means change your mind about Jesus. There's probably still talk around Jerusalem. Was he really the Messiah? Did he really rise from the grave? But you know that all over our country there are people who were raised from the dead, who have been healed, people that sat down on a grassy knoll and he fed them by the thousands. You all know that. You know his life was innocent, you know he hung on a cross, and he rose again. And there are over 500 witnesses still walking around who are declaring, we saw him alive, and Peter's saying, and I, I'm one of them. And now you have this further proof, proof, what should you do in light of all this? Repent. Be converted. Change your mind about Jesus the Messiah, that your sins may be blotted out. 
All that Jesus did was not so that you could live under condemnation, but that you might pass from death unto life. That's the point. Blotted out means to wipe without a trace, to cancel a debt. That imagery is all wrapped up in that word. When the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. What is that talking about? The times of refreshing. Those were dark days in Jerusalem. They put to death an innocent man. They, they chose a, a, a murderer over the innocent man. I mean, it, it's bad what happened. It, it, it shook the city. And there were other things that we could talk about that happened. Do you remember that the veil of the temple was ripped? People knew about that. Do you remember that when Jesus died, graves were opened and people came back from the dead and walked around the city? They knew that. And now all that is being put in the past. They're being reminded of it. But what's Peter offering them? Days of refreshment. Hope. Pentecost. People being saved people being delivered, this man being healed. These are great times. Looking more specifically at these days of refreshment, it's a reference to the fact that Jesus is offering the refreshment of his presence and kingdom. You can know him personally. Wash away your sins, he can be your savior. So personally, and then it's also talking about a future refreshing. In other words, Peter has in mind as he preaches here, not only what Christ has just done and the fact that salvation is now available through him, but he's talking about what the prophets also spoke of, that Jesus is coming back and he's going to set up his kingdom. And oh, by the way, he doesn't mention it here, but that kingdom is going to, his reign is going to be right on top of this rock where we're standing now. Wow. How do we know there's also a future aspect? Look at verse 20. And he shall send Christ Jesus, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things. It's all going to be restored back to his authority which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. So this was God's redemptive plan from the start. And where did it start? Again, thousands are listening to Peter preach. Where did it start? He tells us, verse 22, For Moses truly said unto the fathers, a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. That's powerful. Jesus is the fulfillment of what Moses said. Now here's the question. Where did Moses say it? Take your, your Bibles and let's go back to where he said it. Go to the book of Deuteronomy. Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. In chapter 18. In 
Here's the direct quote. Look down at verse 15. Deuteronomy 18.15, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet. In my Bible, I'm curious about your Bible, what do you notice that's unique about the word prophet? Yeah, it's capitalized. The prophet. From the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. Now look at verse 18. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall hearken unto my words which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. But the prophet which shall presume to speak a word in my name which I have not commanded him to speak or that shall speak in my name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. So here's the point. What Moses predicted was fulfilled in Christ. Let me just share another interesting fact about the book of Acts. If you turn over to chapter 7 and verse 37, you don't have to do that. I'll just make this reference and when we get to chapter 7, we'll look at it more closely. Peter brings up this text from Deuteronomy. And he says, here's the fulfillment. Jesus was the fulfillment. Do you know what Stephen is doing in front of these religious leaders who have pulled him in? Because he's been preaching. People are being saved. They pull Stephen in, and you'll remember, he's, he's preaching. Do you know in his sermon where he also goes? Acts 7.37, he quotes from this passage in De Deuteronomy 2. Let me just say this to us as God's people. You need to know your Old Testament. We need to have a working understanding of the Old Testament. Why? It points to Jesus. It'll strengthen your faith to realize that what, what Moses and the others were, they were looking for a Messiah. They were looking for the Christ. Jesus came, he fulfilled all that truth. And now, based on that fulfillment, Peter stands on the Temple Mount and he is offering to Israel days of refreshment through Jesus Christ. Verse 23, and it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. He's still quoting Moses. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. Ye are the children of the prophets. You have come from this lineage. You are Jews. This, your prophets spoke of this. You're your very blood is Jewish. You've come from this heritage and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all kindreds of the earth be blessed. What's it talking about? Through Christ coming from Messiah, or, or coming from Israel, all nations would hear the gospel and be blessed. Now again, make a connection here. Peter is very careful. 
He understands what he's doing. And for all you preachers that are here, I marvel this was spontaneous. Peter did not have a sermon in his hip pocket as he's walking up the stairs. What did Jesus tell the disciples? If you're yielded to me, open your mouth and I will fill it. That's what's happening here. And so, looking back at verse 19, repent, be converted. Speaking of the times of refreshment, now watch again, verse uh, picking up from verse 19, look at verse 26. Unto you, first God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. And this is where it's time for the invitation. If you're not saved and you're listening to this message, it's time for you to respond. What are you going to do with Jesus? Now, this is where the tension in the text, all right. So, what is going to happen? I think Peter is hoping for a great reaping. He can tell God's working, people are listening. The stage has been set. It's so exciting. And then there starts to be movement in the crowd. And Peter looks over and, uh-oh. People are being shoved to the side. He sees soldiers. And he sees that same group that put the Lord to death. Watch verse uh, 1 of chapter 4. And as they spake unto the people, the priests, and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees, it's the whole band of them, came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold until the next, they got arrested and thrown in jail. Until the next day, because it was what? Evening. They got up there at 3 o'clock. It's now evening. This has been a pretty good service. And it comes to a screeching halt. Well, remember what we said early, pointing out the fact that now we see the church assembling together. Out of their assembling together, spirit-controlled people who are, by the way, meeting to pray. God works mightily through that church. And before we follow them off to jail, what happens? Look at verse 4. Howbeit, many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of them was about 5,000. You didn't expect that, did you? But that's what God did. Same Lord, same Spirit, same baptism. The Holy Spirit of God indwells every Christian here tonight. Does God want to do this same work through His church, Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake? Yes or no? Yes, yes He does. What's the key? 
We just need to be more organized. We, no, no, no. We need to be completely yielded to the Spirit of God and we need to be on our faces before God asking Him to do a mighty work. And I believe that in our 50th year as a church, God could break this place wide open if He wanted to. He wants to. But again, if you're listening tonight without Jesus Christ, it's, it's hard to imagine someone listening to what happened here with Peter and with these unsaved Jews without being confronted with the question, what will you do with Jesus? Looking at all these reasons why you must choose Jesus. And so let's be encouraged. We are still in those days of refreshing. Ah, isn't God sweet? What we have here, isn't it refreshing? Let me try that again. Isn't it refreshing? God is so good. But he wants to bring that refreshing to any heart. If you're not, if you don't know Christ tonight, tonight, I hope that you will come to him. If you're listening by the live stream, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Give your heart to Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this text. We've not forced an outline on the text. Lord, we've, we've simply followed what the Apostle Peter did, these words, as they were given him by the Spirit of God. Lord, my burden tonight is that Holy Spirit, just as you worked on the Temple Mount 2,000 years ago, Lord, you would do your work this evening if there's anyone here who is unsaved. And Lord, there have been a number of powerful reminders for the church as well. Lord, you saved us. I was guilty of putting you to death. Just as guilty as all those who managed the affairs on Calvary. And Lord, you saved me and you've given refreshment to me and my brothers and sisters in Christ here. To whom much is given, much will be required. We have an opportunity as you open doors for witness for us to, to seize those opportunities, depend on you and watch you do a mighty work. Lord, there will be persecution, but there will also be fruit. Souls will be saved. Help us to be faithful in these days, remembering that you are still saving souls. You're still bringing life and refreshment to hearts. Help us to be faithful in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.